Chapter 14 of the Story of Gladstone's Life by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Gladstone and Bright. The Houses of Parliament have had in my memory three really great orators the Lord Derby, whom I have already mentioned, Mr. Gladstone, and Mr. Bright. All three came from the North Country. A high and mighty London weekly paper once said, What a pity it is that Mr. Bright cannot catch the tone of the House of Commons. The retort was obvious. What a pity it is that the House of Commons cannot catch the tone of Mr. Bright. Gladstone and Bright soon became strong friends. The two men were curiously unlike in general ways and in bringing up. Bright was not, in the higher sense, a man of education. He certainly was not a man of culture. He had been quietly brought up with what might be called a plain commercial education. He knew little Latin and next to nothing of Greek. He could read French and could speak it fairly well. He was not widely read, but he had a marvelous appreciation of all the shades of meaning which the English language was capable of putting into expression. He was not a reader of many books, but the books that he really cared for he loved with a love that was more than love. He adored the Bible and Milton, and he learned to delight in Dante, although only through the medium of a translation. One of his happiest quotations was taken from Dante and made in a speech on the condition of Ireland. His style as an orator in the House of Commons was pure, simple, strong, and thrilling. He had a voice which was perhaps on the whole superior even to that of Gladstone himself. As an orator, I should say that he now and then in his greatest speeches soared to a height which Gladstone never reached. But as a debater, he was not to be compared with Gladstone. As he put it himself, I can stand up to a fight well enough every now and then, but Gladstone's foot is always in the stirrup. One passion was common to both the men, the passion for following in the path where justice and the improvement of the condition of one's fellows seemed directly to guide. For a long time, Gladstone was a great source of strength to Bright, and Bright was a great source of strength to Gladstone. Bright did probably his greatest work outside the House of Commons, and Gladstone certainly his greatest work inside it. Bright had a gift of rich Anglo-Saxon humor which Gladstone could not rival. It used to be noticed that Disraeli, great master of sarcastic phrases as he was, never would go in for a passage of arms with Bright. The hand of Bright had a terribly good-humored strength in its knockdown blow. It was like the buffet of Richard Coeur de Lyon in Sir Walter Scott's Ivanhoe. Bright was, for many years of his life, absolutely devoted to Gladstone's leadership in home affairs. He had little or no sympathy with Gladstone's enthusiasm about the cause of this or that foreign people. He never indulged in expressions of rapture about the national cause of Italy. 
This came in great measure from his not unreasonable conviction that the welfare of England herself and of her colonies ought to be the first consideration of English statesmanship. He was utterly opposed to most of England's interventions in foreign affairs. He justly condemned the policy of the Crimean War from the very beginning, and he was denounced and abused for his utterances, which now represent the opinion of all rational Englishmen. But he showed that his was not a merely insular mind when the Civil War in the United States broke out and when the sympathy of the vast majority of those who consider themselves society in Great Britain was ostentatiously given to the southern side. He stood up for the welfare of the people of India, as opposed to the interests of those who went out there to push trade, to make money, or to earn distinction. He was for many years a friend of Ireland, when friends of Ireland were rare figures in the Parliament of the House at Westminster. For years and years he stood up a brave, persistent, and splendid champion for justice to the Irish people. Nor even when in his closing years he fell away from Mr. Gladstone on this very question of Ireland's national claims did the Irish people feel anything but a deep and poignant regret that the strong arm which had supported them so long should be, for some strange reason, suddenly withdrawn from them. For the present, however, he stood by Gladstone's side and was by far the most powerful supporter Gladstone had in the House of Commons or out of it. End of chapter 14